0: Hey! What the? Honey! The water just stopped in here! They
1: turned it off because you're wasting water! What? What are you talking
2: about? You
1: know! Because you know it's all about that drought, about that drought, no water. It's all about that drought, about that drought. No water, it's all about that drought, about that drought. No water, it's all about that drought, about that drought, 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 drought. Yeah, it's pretty clear, we're really short on blue. It's time to save it, save it, like we're supposed to do. Some say it's doom, gloom, and all our grass must go. But together we can make it and enjoy our golden state. It's all about that drought, about that
3: drought, no water, it's all about that drought now a message from your broadcaster attention listeners there's nothing wrong with your radio do not attempt to adjust the controls we are controlling transmission if we wish to make it louder we will bring up the volume if we wish to make it softer we will tune it to a whisper we can flange the sound and even add more wow and flutter we can change the tones from a soft blur or sharpen it to crystal clarity For the next hour, sit quietly, and we will control all that you hear. We repeat, there's nothing wrong with your radio. You are about to participate in a great adventure. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from your inner mind to the Water Zone. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Water Zone. This is Rob Starr. Um, my associate, Mike Barron, is busy at the office, and I know he's listening in. So, hi, Mike. Keep on working, but go home and see your bride. I want to wish everybody a happy Thursday and, most importantly, a happy St. Patrick's Day. And uh, we're here in downtown San Bernardino, where it's a beautiful 80-something degrees. It's a nice day. We're all having fun. And just short little news thing here. Uh, which we can all kind of celebrate. California's biggest reservoirs recover, putting water limits in question. With California's two largest reservoirs hitting historically average levels following a weekend of heavy storms, the state's chief's water regulator, which is Felicia Marcus, is cautiously optimistic that the drought may finally be relaxing its grip. Thank goodness. If the wet weather continues, she says, the urban conservation mandates that turn lawns brown and have Californians taking shorter showers may be eased in the weeks ahead. In May, we'll either be lifting it or changing it, says Felicia. uh, She said that on Monday. The more participation we get, the more snowpack we have, the better it is. So we hope that happens. But remember, we still have to conserve. Well, today is Ag Week, and we're very happy to have our associates from our, our co-hosts, actually from our micro-irrigation group down in El Cajon. We have Miss Inge Bisconer and Paul McFadden, and uh, welcome to the show, guys, and it's all yours now.
4: Hey, thanks, Rob. We are here, and we're rocking out to the water zone and getting ready to talk not only about the rain that has helped with our snowpack, but also uh, talking about the water that goes underground the groundwater so our theme today is groundwater and of course uh water use efficiency in ag. and i'm here with paul hey rob
1: hey, thanks ingy
3: how are you guys doing down there
1: oh, great thank you good
3: we'll see so- you next week i hear
1: yeah, yeah. So <laughs> well, we've got a
4: uh, we've got a couple of guests tonight. And is John in the studio with you? Or John, John is
3: not. John is sitting here, right next to me, having a great time.
0: I am in the oh, studio. It that, is great.
4: That's awesome, John. Uh, thanks for for participating today. We'll um, we'll dive right into it, um, John. Um, uh, I met the, uh, over the last couple of months. Uh, he's the owner of PumpCheck, a company which operates at the intersection of water and energy. And as we've learned through the water zone and uh, through other mechanisms, we know that water and energy are inextricably linked. Uh, We need one to get the other. So Pump Check uh, was founded in 1958 and has 57 years of service in pumping systems analysis and pump testing in the United States and Latin America. And John brings over 24 years of pumping industry experience to the company. He's a licensed electrical contractor and a pumps and machinery contractor, and certified by the United States Department of Energy as a qualified pump system specialist and as a best practices allied partner. So um, with that, welcome to the show, John. Thank you for uh, coming into the studio today.
0: Thank you. Boy, I never sounded so good. <laughs> <laughs>
4: it's going it's to get better and better. Tell <laughs> us a little bit more about your business, the pump check, and uh, and
0: how you got into it. Sure. Um Pump Check is an energy services company, like you said, and what we do is we do pump efficiency testing and analysis. Uh, We do water meter testing and calibration, thermographic imaging of motor control centers and motors themselves and vibration measurement. Um, Our roots uh, actually go back to uh, the pump testing from 1911, which was part of California Electric Company, which is now Southern California Edison. Um, Don Niss started Pump Check in 1958 while he was working and running Edison's pump test program. Um, He started it so that we could do testing for customers that were non-Southern California Edison customers because they still need to have the services. Um, So I started in pump check in um, 1991, and uh, I actually bought the company from Don in 1999 and moved it from the high desert down to Riverside. And we've actually been able to grow the services through California, Arizona, Nevada, and Utah.
1: John, uh, this is Paul. I'm. Uh, I think it might be interesting uh, for our listeners to to realize how how important energy is to moving water in the state. I've read that, for example, over half the energy consumed in the state of California is just moved to uh, used to move water. Is that correct?
0: Uh, it runs about 38%. Um, some estimates go higher. It just depends on how it's categorized. If they include municipal pumping along with agricultural pumping and wastewater treatment plants that move water, then yeah, the number is higher. Um, but yeah, the, the two are, are tied together. It takes energy to move water. And if you want water, it's going to cost. And so yeah, they, they go hand in hand
1: that's a significant, uh, whether it's 38% or 50%, it's, a, it's still a big number and an important cost factor uh, when the water gets cleared down to us in Southern California.
0: Oh yeah. If you look at the energy consumption in California and, and all of the, you know, lighting and commercial and industrial loads that are on the grid. And if just one sector, the, the water sector is such a great part of that load, it, it's, it's huge, you know, and, You know, for a lot of municipalities and agricultural guys, their biggest bill is their electrical bill from pumping water.
4: Just another reason to improve your water use efficiency, because it also means it's going to improve your energy use efficiency as well.
0: Yes. um, Well, and then also with the drought issues and with the state, different states and the water masters cutting back on allotments of water. Um, the irrigation efficiency is so important, and and it goes, again, hand-in-hand hand with the pump efficiency, which is relates to the kilowatt-hour per acre foot of water pumped.
1: John, uh, a question for you. Uh, Toro recently participated in a seminar you helped organize uh, hosted by uh, Valley Electric and Energy Utility where speakers discussed the potential of uh, energy savings and water savings through increased pump efficiency. You know, obviously something that we... Uh, we've just been talking about, especially with the use of drip irrigation. Could you tell us why you think farmers and utilities are interested in this particular topic? Obviously money's the bottom line driver, but from your perspective, how does that all work together?
0: Um, Well, that was actually an excellent program in Tonopah. Um, And, and it's, you know, it's kind of like the water zone. The whole point of it was to get information out, different views, success stories, so that the farmers can make informed decisions, um, you know, all the water users. Um, but it, it kind of boils down to economic viability. Um, as energy costs are going up the, the cost per kilowatt hour, um, as water tables are dropping through drought and, and in some areas overpumping, pumping, and, and then uh, the need to increase productivity on the farm so that the farm is more viable, um, you know, Using the drip if, um, irrigation, going to more energy efficient um, ways of pumping water and more water conservation ways of, of moving water, it's, it's critical to stay in business at this point. Um, you know, for the utility, and, and this is why, you know, the utilities sponsor these kind of things, the utilities have limited resources as far as what's available now. Coal and, and other, you know, traditional means of generating power are becoming limited To build new generators is extremely expensive, which means then it raises the cost of energy that the consumer is going to pay for moving water. And then by having energy efficiency programs, they can actually load shift. If they can get a large pump, a well pump that uses a large amount of um, energy to move water to reduce that by 40 percent or 20 percent, then that's equivalent to taking a couple of homes off of the grid. So they're actually moving the load around versus having to put on more generators.
4: Yeah, so the conservation uh, kilowatt hour is the cheapest next kilowatt hour. Is that correct? E-
0: exactly, yeah.
4: Yeah, interesting. You know, well,
0: uh, go, no, ahead. go ahead. I, I was just going to say, you know, if you if you look at the farm as a do, uh, domestic, you know, system, or, or a domestic system, like if, if it was a life. You know, if water is the blood for facilitating the uptake of nutrients and minerals and vitamins, and then if the pumping, the the piping system and the irrigation system are the veins for moving the water around, then the pump becomes the heart of the farm. And without a healthy pump or heart, everything else will falter or be weak or inefficient in its... In its uh, you know, um, operation. So just like, um, you know, your body, you have to have a checkup to make sure it's in good health. So you know where you're at. And, and so I'm sure you guys have talked about irrigation audits and things like that. And they go hand in hand with conservation and energy reduction.
4: Yeah. So we need to make sure the pumps are, are operating efficiently too, because if it's not, then there's unneeded energy consumed and uh, and perhaps wasted water in the even in the drip irrigation system as well.
1: Well, yeah, it's an excellent illustration. Uh, thanks for sharing that.
4: Yeah, hey, you know when when I think about it, I mean, pumping water from below the ground. I mean that's just nothing short of a technological miracle. You know, I I'm sure that's in the top. One of those top lists of technological uh, uh, inventions of all time, Um, it it, it allows, you know, civilizations to thrive in areas where it otherwise could not. We can't thrive without water. How, John, how do you think that farmers and municipalities today can do a better job of using the existing technology that we have at hand to optimize energy and water use efficiency? What, What are you advising them to do after you do a check?
0: Um, well, you know, let's just say that, that a well pump typically, um, which, you know, drilling a hole in the ground and putting something in to get water out from hundreds of feet deep is just amazing. Um, but you can have a drop off in well efficiency where the, the casing that goes down in the ground and it has holes in it and it lets water move through the strata and through the gravel pack and it goes into the casing and it's pumped out as that clogs from, um, mineral clogging or biofouling or something like that it causes the water level in the casing to actually be deeper which takes more energy to lift it which costs more money and it reduces the amount that it can pump and so having those type of things um, cleaned um, brushed and swabbed helps re- you know raise the pumping water level which reduces cost on the above ground side you know if you look at like looking at an alfalfa field for example everybody used to flood irrigate that and and then they went to wheel lines which was more efficient water wise and time wise and then they went to pivots to where now you've got low pressure nozzles and sprinklers that were more water efficient and and actually um you know the new thing to me is now they're doing um, um subsurface drip irrigation in alfalfa fields to where now there's no evaporation loss. There's no wind, you know, you're not having the wind blowing and blowing the water across the fields and getting all that evaporation. One of the farmers told me that it used to be where it'd be beautiful to drive down and see the pivot with the water glistening in the sun. And now he says it just makes him sick because he knows how much evaporation is going on and how much water is being wasted. So the newer technologies and the newer drip stuff – um is is really the way to go for for conservation of water and you can also reduce the pressures with some of these systems which reduces cost so you win on both sides cost for pumping it and your cons- you have the conservation side through the efficient irrigation
4: yeah so th- but that and that can also allow the farmer to better manage their soil moisture too
0: yeah, that's the other thing that's kind of starting to, to become more of a thing. The municipalities have been doing data logging and, and um, a lot of um, feedback, real-time feedback, where the irrigation for farmers is starting to become where now they're putting in soil moisture monitoring and they're actually using the, the connected farm, as it's called, to where they can monitor it real-time. And they, they, then they don't overwater. They water just enough. And they're actually seeing increased uh, productivity.
1: Um, John, can you share some real-world examples of uh, what uh, your company has done to reduce uh, uh, energy and uh, usage and and, uh, perhaps even water usage?
0: Yeah, um, well, one of the examples, well, as a whole, um, you know, we do the pump efficiency testing and we make recommendations if something is inefficient. And and the person can look at the, the results and say, okay, Like this one example, um, we did a test for on a well and it was very inefficient and based on the hours that they ran it and and what they could improve the efficiency to, they were going to have almost a half a million kilowatt hour savings, which equated to almost $51,000. So the repair was going to be $48,000, so it had a payback of less than a year. And so on that side, that was where they had a huge energy savings um, on the water side, um, we had a, a, a guy, for example, that was um, sprinkler irrigating, and then he went to some micro drip that had a lower pressure, but he was using a pump that wasn't designed properly for his new system. So he was actually over pressurizing it. We ran some numbers for him on what it would cost by having a pump that's designed properly for his new system. And through the reduction of PSI, that's where his energy savings came from.
4: Wow, that's, that's pretty impressive. Nothing uh, short of amazing. Um, hey, hey, Inge,
3: we, we have a caller. Okay. We have a caller, but just so the rest of the people know, you can call in at 909-888-5222. And if you're outside the 909 area code, please dial in at 888-909-1050. We have a caller, Mike, on the phone.
4: Hi, Mike. How can we how can we help you? Well, hey, I'm calling because
2: uh, I'm uh, I like the Water Zone, as you all know, and um, do
3: you listen to it every I, week?
2: I, 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 <laughs> I even participate in it. So uh, this is your this is your uh, uh, alter ego, Rob. I know I'm calling in. We know because uh, um, you know, my the parents. topic is so the topic is so fascinating, and I wanted to something came to mind, and that is because of the drought this past year, 2015, we lost a lot of uh, hydroelectric power in the state of California because we didn't have as much water to drive the turbines and all. So, we had to create electricity in other ways, which added to the cost, because buying natural gas or coal or uh, to, to drive the electrical production is going to cost more money. But then again, the farmers had to go down deeper into the groundwater basins in order to extract water. So between those two um, pressures on our electrical grid in terms of costs, I don't know if uh, your guest has heard of any estimates in terms of the impact of that double whammy on our state economy.
0: As far as a statewide issue, I have not. Um, but as far as on an interpersonal is, you know, relationship with the farmers, yeah, as the cost goes up and as you have to go deeper for water, it's going to get to the point where, like, for example, an alfalfa guy up in northern Nevada, it's going to get to the cost where it's not cost effective to grow alfalfa anymore. So now they're starting to look at other crops that are less water intensive and don't require as much to you know, have, be productive. So they may be looking into different grasses or um, even you know, nuts or something else that may not take as much water as alfalfa. So it's going to be almost a self-correcting problem if it gets to that point. Well, I
1: just found
2: your history of your company fascinating in the sense that your service uh, really aims at the heart of one of the costs of our farming community. Mm-hmm. And and uh, it seems that some of these farmers who are facing higher uh, electrical costs uh, would be some of the more eager recipients, or or, or or they would search out your services more and more. And maybe that's led to the growth of your company. But that whole history to me was, is just very fascinating and a real uh, success story in terms of you know identifying this this need many many years ago. And it seems like the
0: need is just grown're uh,
2: abso-
0: yeah, you're absolutely right on that on an annual basis, we end up, and this is we we do the testing, we identify something that's in, inefficient, and then we make recommendations and then when the customer improves the pump, we do a retest to see what the ver- what the improvement was and is it actual was it an actual improvement? And we've been running at about 3.4 million kilowatt hours have been reduced on an annual basis through our tests, which that equates to over 6 million pounds of CO2 reduction, um, you know, is on an environmental side. And, and it equates to about almost a half a million dollar savings to the end users that have been doing this work. So the farmers are the ones that are being real proactive um, on doing it because it's a survival thing
4: i was just going to ask him about uh the subsidies i i think um i mean it behooves the, the whole state to have this done are there government or utility subsidies to have this testing done
0: yes there is and, and that's um a real good thing I, um, you know the center for irrigation technology up at fresno uh, runs a couple of programs that have different subsidies most of the utilities have subsidies to help subsidize pump testing or even do it for free. Um, the USDA has different grants or subsidies towards energy efficiency or conservation projects. So there are a lot of things that are out there to, to help encourage this. Um, and, and a lot of guys have been real proactive in doing that. So, yeah, there are things that are out there.
4: That's, that's great. Well, what do you think is going to be... Happening in two or five or 10 years in the future, you see any new technologies in the pipeline or what what do you see your business doing a little bit later?
0: Um, For us, you know, basically what we've been doing has been around since 1911 and a lot of the instrumentation is the same. So um, but we're going to have advances in, you know, different, um, you know technologies and power quality analyzers and other things like that that we're using specifically as far as on the the customer side the farmers and the municipalities data logging um, real-time information um, is going to be you know the feedback stuff using the the better micro drip irrigation systems and the soil moisture monitoring and not over irrigating is going to be the the future for that stuff and then on the pump side mechanically You know, variable vane impellers like what is on the turbos now on a lot of the different trucks, Um, different materials, composites, hybrid metals, and things like that will probably be, which takes less energy because it takes less horsepower to run it, which is going to be the savings on that side. So there are going to be things going forward that will be happening.
4: Wow. And what what about NASA's ability to measure groundwater depth? We've been hearing a lot about that lately. How will that affect your business or your activities?
0: Um, I I think in a whole, in in fact, actually, the conservation that's been going on has been effective. And I can't say which basin because we do work for almost all the water masters. But one of the predictions for a basin locally was that it was going to have a um, seven foot drop in its water level over the course of the year. And, and it was trending that way, but it ended up being less than five foot drop. And they completely um, equate that to the conservation efforts that have gone on on the homeowners and the municipalities and the local farmers. So it does work. And you know if everybody kicks in and does their part, you know, we can definitely help mitigate the problem. So uh, monitoring is definitely gonna be the future.
3: Take a little break. We'll be back here on The Water Zone with Mike and Rob and our special host today, Inge Biskoner and Paul McFarland from our micro-irrigation group.
4: All right, and thank you, John, for uh, coming in today.
0: Thank
3: you. Hi, we're back with The Water Zone with Mike and Rob, and today is our ag group uh, for our micro-irrigation, uh, Inge Biskoner and Paul McFarland. And I was just talking to john here and my i uh, got a text uh, it's from my wife and she's showing me that they're eating corned beef and cabbage and i'm missing out so as soon as i'm done hopefully there's going to be some left by the time i get home so we'll see what happens anyway i'm going to turn it over to you john's still here and uh he can chime in as well so Ingi and paul take it over
1: great is uh is david with us
3: david's Hello? on the line
1: david are you there i am can you hear me yeah, perfectly. You're coming in loud and clear. Hi, Dave. Welcome. Hi. <laughs> happy St. Paddy's Day.
5: Happy St. Paddy's Day. <laughs> thank you,
1: thank you. Same to you. Um, we're uh, we're happy that uh, you could carve out some time out of your extremely uh, busy schedule, Dave, to join the Water Zone. Let me introduce you to the folks who don't know you, and uh, then we'll get started on a few uh, questions. Uh, Dr. Z- Dol- uh, Zoldowski served as the director of the Center for Irrigation Technology and recently has been named the Executive Director of Water Initiatives at California State University, Fresno, where he's been uh, actively working on uh, the state's water issues for over 30 years. He recently served as the Vice Chair of the California Department of Water Resources Strategic Planning Caucus for New Water Technology. Uh, Dr. Zabowski is recently named the Person of the Year by the California Irrigation Institute and received a similar award from the uh, National Irrigation Association in 2013. He's a senior fellow at the California Council on Science and Technology and an honorary member of the American Society of Consultants. He's also the past president of the Irrigation Association, a member of the Smart Water Application Executive Committee, founding director of the, for the Water Resources and Policy Initiative for the UC system, and Cal State system, excuse me, and past president of the American Society of Agronomy, California chapter. Wow. I need to have a uh, have a drink of my uh, green Pretty beer cool. after that uh, intro, David. Thank you for that.
4: Cheers. Um,
1: well, tell I us if uh, you're how here, you if became the uh, director I guess, I guess of the Center for Irrigation can. Technology and the California Water Institute and the International Center for Water and Technology. And uh, over the thirty years you've been at Fresno State, and now you're one of the leading uh, 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 folks in the in the water community—not just in the in California, but in the in the nation.
5: Well, we, we've we've um, we've certainly been busy the last. Uh, it's actually I'm starting my thirty-fourth year, but who's counting, right?
2: <laughs>
5: you know, I, I think it's as much as uh, luck as anything else, right? I just sort of. Uh, i think a lot of us didn't start out to be in water but got into it found it to be extremely fascinating and and very rewarding and and uh, as as you've been talking today the the issues and topics just don't go away so um you know we i started for the center for irrigation technology in 1983 and along the way we created the the california water institute to deal with water policy and and uh, um uh, resource or um environmental issues and then uh the International Center for Water Technology really came up about 15 years ago to do the um, the um, incubators and technology development and and all the stuff that you're seeing today to try and to, to help address um, today's water challenges with new technology. So it's been a great run, and I'm still enjoying it. So probably going to keep doing it till till it's not fun anymore.
1: What is your uh, what is your role at the university uh, proper, Dave?
5: Um well in November the we have a new president and every time you get a new president they um they have new ideas and this president's decided that water ought to be part of the DNA at Fresno State and so about a year and a half ago he put together a uh, water task force of um both industry folks and uh university types and they came up with a um recommendations for the president on how to make water part of the DNA at Fresno State and uh in November Uh, About four or five months ago, he asked me to sort of implement that particular um, set of recommendations. So I have started that journey. Um, We're in the process of getting together a strategic plan. We are um, uh, doing um, focus groups and and, uh, surveys with all the campus community, faculty, staff, and students, as well as we're going to be reaching out to the ag, environmental, and urban communities, certainly within the um, San Joaquin Valley, and really ask what Fresno State should be doing, both in in pre- preparing our students for future issues around water and and what can we be doing to engage in the water issues currently and and help um, help bring some value to solving those?
4: Well, we're happy that uh, that you rose from being a research technician to um, to running the place and that you have focused your your passions on water. the uh, the water community is uh, fortunate to have you in this role, Dave. Um, one one of the things that um, CIT administers is the Advanced Pumping Efficiency Program. As I understand it, uh, it it's funded by PG and E. It's an educational and incentive program intended to improve overall pumping efficiency and encourage energy conservation in California. How does how does this program matter, and has it been successful in helping Californians address the drought?
5: Yeah, so uh, we call it APEP, actually, and um, that was kind of a, a follow-on to a program we started in 2001 with the California Energy Commission, uh, really trying to reduce the energy um, footprint, if you will, of agriculture, and it evolved through a couple of evolutions, and, uh, you know, as you probably well know, that 90% of the electrical use in production farming is for pumping water, and that shouldn't be any mystery uh Irrigation is a big part of growing crops out there, so it really became a focal point of, from the utilities to say, you know, let's let's try to uh, see if we can't reduce on-farm energy use, and and uh, we had a lot of successes there. And they actually um, have given us all the municipal pumping as well, so we're as active in the city of San Jose as we are out on some farm in Mendota, but. Um I can t- report that it, it has been very successful. We um currently are booking or identifying or being able to quantify about two million kilowatt hours of reduced uh energy use each month, and that's that's just for the first twelve months. So in, in, in a twelve month period we've been able to capture you know close to twenty-four million kilowatt hours of savings. And then those savings continue on past those twelve months for the individuals that participate in the program. So um, we think we're, we're educating growers to, to make better decisions about um, you know, energy use on their farms, and uh, we're also providing some resources to, um, to motivate them to make those decisions. And, and so we, we think we're contributing to, hopefully, the reduction of, of uh, you know, fossil fuel burning and all the other things that it takes to create that energy and, and making sure that the resources that we do use are, are used at their highest and best use.
4: And 24 million kilowatt hours per year. I mean, that just sounds like a lot. Can you put that into any sort of perspective for us? Uh, oh football, gosh! Or is, that um, like, is that like a whole a whole um, hydro generation dam? Or I mean, it
5: just yeah. Of- you know, I, um, you know, it's, it's, it's part of it's you know when you use it and why you use it. But I, I think more importantly, you know, some of that's groundwater pumping that's occurring, and and if we can reduce that and And even though some of that might eventually go back to the water table, there's a, a latency between when it gets applied. We really think it it helps with with managing our groundwater and as you know with all the uh, with all the uh, pumping going on because of the lack of surface water, anything we can do to keep that water in the ground and not take it out prematurely and and perhaps even lose it um, we think has great value. And we haven't put a pencil to that, so um, um I can't tell you exactly you know it it's all whats what's what's uh, it's thing, yeah. Uh, you know the value of water when the well goes dry so we <laughs> think we're just adding to the overall um sustainability of the state both both um in reduction of of uh you know cost of the power but also in in maintaining the health we hope at some level with our groundwater basins
0: ingy yeah hey this is john hey dave how you doing fine hey uh just as a and a number that you wanted to know um the 24 million kilowatt hours that's that CIT is saving through their program is equivalent to taking two thousand two hundred eighty-five homes off of the electrical grid.
4: Wow!
0: That's, wow! That's the that's, equivalent per year.
4: That's, that's pretty significant. Thank you, John. That's uh, that's
1: awesome. David, we're uh, we're talking about groundwater and and uh, uh, chemical leaching, specifically nitrate leaching. Uh, we have uh, legislation now that requires uh, monitoring of both uh, groundwater pumping in, in the spe- uh, specific basins, but also uh, monitoring of nitrates. Uh, in the the uh, it, you know the, these those two things are are significant to the point where uh, we have uh, subsidence or ground uh, the ground level is actually sinking. We're pumping so much water. Um, how is uh, how is your uh, group? Uh, uh, helping uh, farmers cope with these changes and uh, bringing people together with all different kinds of viewpoints uh, from the cities, as you said, San Jose to farmers in in Huron or Ripon or wherever they might be. That's a tremendous task. How do you how do how are you doing it, and, and what exactly are you doing?
5: Well, obviously, it's a multifaceted um challenge. Um, I could say, you know there are some silver linings to the drought. Um, one of them is that we have the attention of farmers like we probably never had. Uh, you know we put a lot of classes on, and a lot of those now are focused on water management. So clearly, um, there's an area where you know we get a chance to talk to growers, we have their attention. and you know I, I really think it starts out with with measuring or water meters, you know I mean it, it's really it, it's really hard to manage something you don't measure, and we really try to encourage growers to make sure that they do have some measurement on their, their water delivery systems, And um, we kind of talk about what we call our three big ideas, and, and that's to have the efficient pumping plant um, have good distribution. Uh, you know, one of the fallacies out there, one of the myths, I think, is that drip systems get put in, and, and, and growers uh, think that because they have a drip system, and, and, and quite frankly a lot of other folks do too, that it's, it's still going to be at 90 or 95% efficient. But uh, like anything else, uh, those things wear over time, they degrade, and, and um, they need to be evaluated, they need to be maintained, and um, you know maintenance needs to be applied to make sure that they are operating as originally designed and matching up to those performance. And then of course, the irrigation uh, management, uh, knowing how much water to put on and when is, is real important so that you know the, the ag water users because they're under the microscope, can, can really point to, um, to their, their being efficient with the resource and, and as you know the as we heard earlier you know data is going to be critical going forward just the data to manage those systems and the data to show that you are a good steward and, and and the report writing and stuff and then i think that creates a dialogue with other other folks the urban folks who think that they've been unfairly targeted for water use and and certainly there's conversations with the environment to make sure that you know they get their fair share and and, and there's been pain for everybody there's no, there's no question about that and so um, i think that that this this whole drought has brought folks together because everybody recognizes there's not enough to go around the way we've been doing it. And so what, what's the path forward from there? So I think it starts with, with good practices, education, and communication. And, and, and we kind of work in all three of those areas. We're, we're pretty active in the policy stuff, uh, particularly in the eight counties in the San Joaquin from Bakersfield up to Stockton. And, um, and we have a lot of successes to point to, got a ways to go. And then there are certain things that, um, that are just really too contentious to speak of, and, and, and I, I, they start, like, with, the you know, twin tunnels and things like that. Um, so we kind of set those aside and really work on the other things that we think we can get done, and we'll let those, those big ticket items that, that seem to, to be a black hole, let, let the folks that have another 20 years to work at and figure it out um, get, it, get that done.
4: Yeah, find find the the areas of agree or the, you know where you can find consensus and uh, and build from there. It's, that's that's that's, a, that's a good yeah, and we think that's out. about
5: ninety percent of it. Ingie, I mean there are a lot of things. There's a lot of local water projects. And as you know there's a storage, conveyance, and water banking. Um, there is um, you know taking flood flows and recharging on ag ground. I was just talking to a farmer today that took some runoff uh, coming through his farm and was able to sink uh, thirty six acre feet into his vineyard this winter. And, you know, if a, uh, a lot of little things add up to a big thing. And so we're seeing a lot of folks um, taking the initiative to do things. And, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, we agree on most things. There's just a couple of those things, whether you're, you know, in the Delta or in, the, in or south of the Delta, that, that those become a little bit contentious and sometimes, you know, really stop us, or at least historically have stopped us from doing the things that we could do. And I, we've moved past that, I think, in a lot of places. And I, I'm really happy to, to be part of that effort.
4: Yeah, no, I, I um, uh, the uh, groundwater on the farm that you were just talking about, I think that might be Don Cameron. That's just great to have deliberate recharge of the groundwater in the winter when we have the flows and we have the water available. And my goodness, we have a lot of replenishment uh, makeup time. Um,
5: yeah, you know. actually, this was a Madera farmer. I was just talking to him today, and, and, and he said, Yeah, I didn't need any engineers and stuff. I just sort of backed up the, the creek coming through and then pumped <laughs> it out onto my fields and. And it had a water meter on it.
1: Oh, well, that's great. I think we uh, might want to uh, point out to our viewers that uh, you mentioned the acre-foot measurement. That's uh, roughly 326,000 gallons of water, enough to uh, for two uh, two households for a year. So that's a significant yeah, and, amount of water. And,
5: Paul, another way to think about it is to take the end zones away from a football field and, and put a foot of water over it, and it's pretty close.
1: That's a good illustration, Dave. Thanks.
4: Yeah, I might also add that's two homes in America, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so probably a lot more homes in, in maybe some other places. Well, Dave, you've really been active, you know, not only at the university level, but, um, you know, at the state level, as you were saying, uh, DWR, Department of Water Resources, uh, CDFA, California Department of Food and Ag, a lot of committee work, um, influencing policy, um, planning, you know, you probably heard it all, and... So my question is, in your view, what is the single most important thing that farmers could do, that that people could do, and maybe these are different for farmers, that that people can do, you know, urbanites, um, and that people who manage and advocate for the environment can do each, to quote unquote, successfully live within our water means. In your view, what is Yeah, and you, you know, I think it all starts. What can they do? First.
5: Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, it's really knowing um, um, what your needs are and, and when you need it, so it's timing them out, whether it's the agriculture or the environment or, you know, even some level at the urban, um, and, and a lot of it's simple stuff. I mean, until two years ago, in you know, Fresno State has had this farm for 60 years or something, um, nobody really knew what the water budget was. So, you know, we assisted the farm in, in developing a water budget and trying to understand you know, the priority on what, what needed water first and, and, you know, if we were going to make decisions to short water on the farm, which we did, about 150 acres worth, which crops we were going to do that on and, and what time of the year and that kind of stuff. So it's really about information, and I know when I work with growers and, and we help get them more information to manage their farms, uh, to a person, they, they tell me that, that they feel like they make smarter decisions, and I think that's true with homeowners. And I'm certain it's true with the environment, knowing, you know, when do the flows have to occur in the rivers, what quality water do we need, you know, um, and and then really who has the water when that might be able to share some for some of these other needs. And so you've got the individual sort of, you know, segments of information, and then you've got the collective uh, resource out there and and working with folks together. I think trust is one that, that needs a lot of work. Um, you know, folks have to be able to work together and understand. You know, I'll give something up for now and expect it later. And, and I think you know you have to prove that, that that their trust is was worthy that, that they do get what they had expected later and not not change the rules or move the move the cheese or the goalposts on them. And, and, and we've got a ways to go on that. I think there's there's uh, there's been a lot of um, um, historical fighting even among the ag community. So I, I think it's information, I think it's sharing information, I think people working with common inter- information rather than, you know, one side having their information somebody else having another set of information that perhaps aren't even compatible and, and, and then fighting on that basis. But I, I, somebody said once to me that if we have one, one set of, of information that we all agree to, it fundamentally changes the discussion and I just think that's so true, particularly around water and water resources.
3: We have a, we have another caller. Who's there? Good. It's Mike, calling from Riverside.
2: Wait. Yes, sir. <laughs> I I heard the magic. We're not word. we're not
3: paying Dave. Just so you know, we're not paying Mike to keep calling here. <laughs>
2: That's right. No, it's just the stimulating conversation triggers questions that I am compelled to call and ask about, especially with such a great guest as uh, Mister Olaski. So. You talk about a water budget for farms, and I know that you're an equally um, an equal expert on the landscape side of irrigation and I wanted to get your sense of the penetration or the use of water budgets in landscape irrigation versus farm do you are they both at the same kind of level of utilization within those two communities, or is one of the communities somewhat ahead of
5: the other? Um, well, um, you know, I think one of the problems, and, and Mike, you know this as well, is that, um, and, and this is my own bias, so I'll just put it out there, I, I think that the urban community, just like the farm community at some point, should just have a water budget that says you've got X amount of gallons to irrigate your, your landscape. But... You know, we continually get folks that that can't help themselves to provide prescriptions. You know, you can only have 40% grass, or you can't use bluegrass, you can only use this. Or you can't plant these plants, you know. At the end of the day, they're trying to manage the water supply by selecting the plant material where, at least in my view, um, we should each get our equal amount of water, whatever that is, and whatever the community can sustain, and if that's 100 gallons of water and I want to have a banana plant in my front yard because that's the most important thing in my life, then let me do it and have the rest in lava rock. But I I, I, I really do fear that this prescription approach that that really has has been applied to the landscape area uh, really hinders the ability of of irrigation landscapes, of technology, of creativity. At the end of the day, everybody's yard is going to look the same, and I don't think that's really what we are about. I think we all like to have our individuality, and I think – you know, our stage of life, I know I grew up with a backyard and, and with my sisters and played on the grass. And then, you know, I hear about folks that are in retirement taking their lawn out, and that's absolutely appropriate. But I always vision this this mother with three or four kids in her house running around, and, and she wants them out to go play, and she opens the door, and they run out the backyard, and they've got some grass or something to play on, you know. And, and that's, I think that's good for everybody. It helps, you know, sequester dust. It, it can provide cooling. Uh, to the house, so the air conditioning load isn't as high. I mean, there's just there's lots of benefits, um, and and I just think as as a society, um, we're smarter than people give us credit for, and that we ought to we ought to all have our our own um, allotment of water, and then use it with the best technologies. Um, then we can spread it and do more with it. And if we choose to not be as efficient, then we can't do as much. But at the end of the day, we we get as much water as our neighbor, and I think that's true with the farming community. they to be sustainable. Over the millions of acres that we farm at some point in the future, um, you're just going to have an allotment of water, and you can either irrigate half your land with lots of water and grow almonds or grow all, of it, all of the land with, with uh, grapes or some other crop that uses half as much water, but, but you're going to make those decisions on an economic base and your own personal expertise. And so I, I I'd still am an advocate of individuals' right to make decisions, and I hope that you know policy in the future allows for more of that rather than less. Great. Hey, thanks. That was uh, that was a long-winded response. I'm uh, uh, sorry.
4: Yeah, that, that good respo- was no, very good well response. Thank you. Yeah, and Dave, I, I think uh, the farm community is is responding. I met some uh, very innovative uh, farmers recently that uh, actually spoke at our CII conference uh, a year or two ago that are now talking about the return of doll- you know profitability per acre foot of water rather than profitability per acre. So they want to maximize their, their profitability and their, their, their yield and their, their output production per unit of water because that's the most limiting factor now. And so That's kind of along the same lines. You're, you know, the farms are going to manage to the limited resource and as the homes, as you're suggesting, the homes should give them uh, the water and let them manage it to the best of their abilities.
5: Yeah, and to meet their lifestyle, right? I mean, you know, if you've got a house full of little kids, you're going to have different needs in the backyard than somebody that doesn't want to spend time gardening in the backyard.
4: Exactly, exactly. If you want to blow your wand on a water fountain and have everything else in rocks, then that's uh, um, up to the individual.
5: Yeah, and it treats everybody the same.
1: Yeah, right. Well, listen, Paul, has got one one more question for you. I'm just curious, Dave, uh, in the the, uh, minute or so we have left, what do you think, uh, what are you most looking forward to? You know, we've, we've, uh, Rob opened up with a, with a, with a uh, promising report on the snowpack and the rainfall. We talked about uh, farmers uh, being more efficient with their water use and, and looking at alternative crops, uh, as, our, as John mentioned in a previous segment. What are, what are some things that you're looking forward to, say, a year out or uh, five or ten years out?
5: Um, yeah, there's a couple things. One is, um, two would be, uh, the first one would be to to work with students at Fresno State and, and raise their water IQ. Whether they ever have a career in water at all, I'd like them all to be a little more educated about where that water comes out of the faucet because they're going to be our future, and they're going to have to vote on future water bonds and investments. And I think if they're more aware, more aware of, of all the engineering that goes behind that and, and how valuable that really is, they'll make better decisions. And then the other thing I'm looking forward to, we're about to establish uh, an innovation center at Fresno State that will be really reaching out um, across about two-thirds of the state to um, uh, identify innovators that um, can help solve some of these, these issues and address them in a way. And so I, I, I have faith that, that we're going we're gonna to provide a lot of innovation to help maximize and optimize and, and really make our resource um, go further, make sure it's used several times rather than one-off, and, and just really see the utility of water um, increase and, and the value of water be recognized by society. And I think if, if we get there, um, I, I'll feel that um, I've helped accomplish something along with many others.
4: Well, it sounds like that, would, uh, that falls right into your goal of having water part of the DNA at Fresno State and, and the whole Fresno State Water Initiative.
5: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I couldn't be happier than the president asking me to help carry out that. And, um, and I'm going to put a lot of energy and effort with some other folks to make sure that that happens. Um, we, we last year had uh, the book, the big thirst by Charles Fishman as mandatory reading for over a thousand students at Fresno state. And then we had him out to speak to the students. So, um, and we've got another, um, author coming out, I think end of April, I think it's, uh, water in the West. And, um, and, and, again, a mandatory reading for the students across um, all eight schools and colleges such that it um, um, doesn't matter about your, your your major. You get an opportunity to educate yourself about water and, and, and the history of water and, and water in society.
1: Dave, I just have to say that the president of Fresno State is, uh, couldn't have picked a better person to uh, represent uh, all of us uh, as uh, Consumers of Water and members of the the ag community and the urban community to represent us in, uh, in your initiative at Fresno State. So uh, congratulations to you.
5: Well, thank you. And I'll be reaching out to my friends, hint, hint, on the phone here to, to help us as we, <laughs> we go down this journey.
3: How do uh, people get a hold of you?
5: Um, go to CaliforniaWater.org. That's our website. And I, I think you can chase me down there or um, just... Um, davidzio at csufresno.edu is my uh, email address.
3: Okay, and John, how do we get a hold of you?
0: Um, You can email me at john, J-O-N, at pumpcheck.com, P-U-M-P-C-H-E-C-K.
3: And for any of you that need to ask some other questions, please go to www.torowatersmart.com and leave a message for Mike and I or Ingy or Paul, and we'll get back to you and get you the answers that you need. We appreciate everybody listening and joining us today on uh, The Water Zone on KCA 1050 AM and 106.5. We'll see you next week. Have a happy St. Patrick's Day. And honey, save some corned beef for me. I'm on my way home.
4: (laughs) Thank you, gentlemen.
3: Thank you all. All right, bye-bye. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye.